Hey everyone, welcome back to Untucked. Um, before I give you the rundown of what to expect this week, I just want to spend a couple minutes reminding you that if you have any interest in learning more about Jeff, Mike, um, or myself, uh, or the firms that we run, I would encourage you to visit our websites, www.financialcoachgroup.com or www.thenewwealthproject.com. Financial Coach is a retirement planning firm focused specifically on the unique um, issues and concerns of the modern retiree. The New Wealth Project is a comprehensive financial planning offering for young families, um, young business leaders, uh, people who have also a very unique set of issues and concerns. So if you want to learn more about either firm, please visit our websites. Again, www.financialcoachgroup.com or www.thenewwealthproject.com. On this week's episode, we're going to talk Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos. Uh, we are going to discuss Airbnb. We're talking about the United States women's national team and their fight for equal pay. And then we discuss the most recent episodes of The Last Dance. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 28 of Untucked. This is Megan. Uh, Mike. This is Jeff, again, operating remotely. Movie trailers were originally shown after the movie, which is why they're called trailers. Hmm. But then they realize that no one wants to wait around after the movie and watch trailers, so they moved them to the front. Oh, like trailers for other movies like the previews yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) tough crowd (laughs) dude it's like the toughest crowd i thought that was a really good fact like i i never thought of why they were called trailers because it's weird and i was like that's interesting apparently not Guess you guys aren't real movie people. There's like no sports. No, there's no sports, man. Did they ever do? Didn't they talk about like some kind of golf match between like Phil Mickelson and like Peyton Manning? Did that ever like come to fruition? I thought it was Phil and Tiger. It might have been Phil and Tiger, yeah. Um, I I don't think it ever happened. I don't know if it's going to. I got nothing on sports. There are none. Is that driving anyone else crazy yet? Yeah. And I'm not a huge, like, rewatcher of really anything. But, like, they put... I think they were re-showing the 2012 Olympics or 2008. Like, something. And I just... I have no interest in rewatching stuff I've already experienced. I feel exactly the same, except for one category. But like, I won't watch. I have no desire to watch like 
the Flyers uh, Rangers regular season game from 1986 because the Flyers like had some unbelievable amount of goals or something like that. I have no desire to watch that. I would watch the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. I'd watch that again. I would watch maybe game seven of the Phils winning the World Series. Other than those two events, I probably wouldn't rewatch any sporting event. I watched like a half of the Edmonton Oilers, New York Islanders game five from 1984. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. You are <laughs> such a tweaker. It was the Edmonton's first cup win when they went on to like have a dynasty. Like Gretzky was like they had, all, they, it was just like the end of the Islanders run and the beginning of Edmonton. And it wasn't easy to watch. There's a lot of like, you know, the hockey seems worse than I remember it, but it's still also hard to, to have the right perspective because the, the picture quality was just brutal and all that. Um, but I'm kind of with you. There's very few that I would, I wouldn't mind dialing up a couple of like Flyers classics from the 80s and 90s, but they're just not on. And like the stuff that they run, I have no interest. Like I'm not going to watch the 74 Cup, you know, Cup victory, which, which you can't even like terrible quality. I've seen the highlights. The game's not that exciting. It would have to be some like something exceptional would have had to happen in the game. And I think it would have to be a game that I lived through. Like the Flyers won a game in like the fifth overtime. I think Keith Primo scored the goal. Is that yeah. Correct? Yeah. Like I would probably watch like the third period and the five overtimes of that because I remember it. I, I experienced it. But other than like if it was like some random game from 1974, I have like no interest. Part of my interest was just also um, watching it, watching an actual game like that. You realize how much has changed in, the, in terms of how, what they don't call, how much the rules have sort of been changed or the interpretations have been changed and what, what you could. So like <clears throat> you know, the goalies were smaller. Their equipment was smaller. It was so much easier to score on them back then. That's why there was like record amounts of goals. But on the flip side, you could get away with anything playing defense. You could you could murder somebody. It's right. harder to get like great scoring chances. And so I watch it like that, and so kind of like okay, it's kind of interesting. But then I turn it off and I move on because right. Yeah, the the sports rewatchables is is a tough one for me. Yeah, I don't even go on like the I don't even go on Hulu or anything and see what's on. I don't even bother. No, I don't either. I mean, if I'm putting on the TV, I think the default is the Food Network. <laughs> and <laughs> Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives have been on what feels like a marathon for like seven weeks. So I think I've watched every episode of that. But by watch, it's like on in the background while I'm looking at my phone. I'm not actually paying attention. <laughs> Could you imagine if part of this pandemic 
that the bandwidth for the internet turned out to be like not able to support all of this activity and there was no like internet access for some reason or for extended periods of time. <laughs> Do you imagine? It's going to be the double V in the market. The The internet's going to go down and then the, everyone's just going to actually <laughs> the market but won't no, go no. down because yeah. yeah, because they can't sell anything. So just stay where it is. I like follow on Instagram people who live in Nashville and I guess there were just like horrible storms there recently and they're without power for like weeks. <laughs> All of this and then murderous bees and no power. Like, can we get a break? Yeah, that would be awful. Are the murderous bees an actual thing or is that just like <laughs> I think it's totally thing. blown out of proportion? I mean, I don't know if they actually can kill you, but I think they exist. We should have done some research on the bees. So I've used the term global pandemic maybe two or three times. I'm assuming that's an, that's an incorrect statement because a pandemic is global, right? I think, yes. I'm the just trying to like, I guess, like... Like once the World Health Organization categorized it as a pand pandemic, I think we're on a global scale. Right. So I basically say it's a global, global <laughs> pandemic, basically, right? Is what I'm saying when I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I said it like twice and I said like, you know, I don't think I should say that anymore. I'll just say pandemic now moving forward. <laughs> what we got, Meg? What's on, what's on, on the topic list for this pod? All right. Well, we're going to start for with coach's corner the last couple of days weeks we've seen um some different people uh kind of release different companies release their shareholder commentary um warren buffett was on tv was it last week earlier this week um jeff bezos wrote a letter so i we're just gonna maybe spend a little bit of time talking about that Buffett was what we what we researched on Buffett was Josh Brown's commentary of Buffett's shareholder address, correct? Yeah, we didn't. I mean, I didn't watch Buffett. Did either of you? No, I yeah. just read. I read the recaps of it. Yeah, and Josh Brown, his um, blog, The Reform Broker, that was the one I read. So here's my interpretation of Josh Brown, because. Uh, find him to be very similar to a person like me. Like I think he's around my age, like mid forties. Like I've heard him do a, a couple top fives where he did like top five rappers of all time. Very, very in sync. And he, he just, his writing, it seems like he's just trying to sound, he's going to, he's trying to write like he's smarter than he really is. Is anybody else getting that vibe from it? I mean, I don't usually. Um, I will say that this particular post I felt was very, very wordy. But I think that was probably his intention. Like the way he was, he used the first however many paragraphs to describe Buffett in this like, I don't know, almost like mythological like way. I mean, I, I thought that he was just trying to build up Buffett in the reader's mind. I don't know. I, I don't interpret a lot of his other writing that way, though. 
the I, I know what you mean though, Jeff. I definitely I agree with like a certain way it comes off. But I also think when he's writing a post like this, because he writes a lot of like real short ones, but sometimes he'll put out a long one like this and he puts a lot, clearly a lot of time into it. And I think he's kind of doing it because he thinks it's going to be one of his iconic posts about whatever he's writing about. But in this case, like I think he's trying to build up Buffett in the beginning and provide all the context around like how the world viewed views him and viewed him and, and kind of like that this is like a line in the sand for him. The, 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 the celebrity Buffett of yesterday is like gone his best, like he's not going to have any more like moments like he had in 2008 and nine. He stepped in and like got all these unbelievable deals because he, he supplies capital to failing institutions and turned out to be unbelievable you know, trades. And, and this isn't, this isn't happening this time. In fact, it's a reverse, you know, getting burned on the airlines. I kind of liked it because I think it's a, one of the few times a lot of people have been wondering, where's Buffett been? Where's Buffett been? Nobody's heard a word from the guy. From what the recaps say about the speech, it was mostly a pretty different tune. Like it was real somber, really like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have 150 billion in cash, but that might not be enough to get through this. Like the same thing, a lot of stuff that was kind of like Debbie Downer, I thought. I think we saw this with a guy I follow, um, Nick Murray, about six or eight months ago. He kind of questioned his own methodology and behavior. And then we watch we watched Buffett do something kind of similar. Like he sold airline stocks, which could could have been like the worst possible time to sell them. I mean, I have no idea. But maybe there's something to be said about, dude, when you just get old, you just kind of get to a break point where it's like, all right, I've had enough and I'm out. I don't want to like do this anymore. And maybe I mean, Buffett's like 90, isn't he? Nick Murray's what is shit. Like they just want to probably just check out. I, I was just a little turned off by like the super obscure, multiple obscure references in like the beginning of his thing. I thought the overall piece was good, but when he references the one-eyed Odin sitting beneath the eaves of Yadrasil or whatever the hell that was. Like, what? Did you guys are you, are you guys familiar with that reference? I had to look up a couple different things, like highlight, right click, look up. <laughs> you shouldn't have to do that, is my point. Like, come on, man. Who's your when you were listening to Biggie Smalls, Josh, you weren't you didn't know anything about that. Like, come on, man, keep it real, bro. I guess that was my I liked that there was finally kind of some, maybe somebody being a little bit critical of Buffett. It, the, he's annoyed me for a long time because I think he's kind of like, he loves the celebrity of, of himself, even though he's like Johnny Folksy from, you know, Oklahoma and all that, or Nebraska, I, I mean. Um, but like, I don't know. Something about him has always rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because he kind of like craves the limelight and loves it instead of just like just put your head down and do do what you do and stop like doing these like auction auction dinners or auction lunches with Warren and and you know have have it go to the highest bidder and so that they can 
pick your brain for an hour. Like, come on. So, and I also thought the way that he behaved during the 0809 crisis, I didn't, I didn't think it was, uh, I had an issue with it. So I was glad to just read a little bit of a critique finally. Oh, that was my thing. Isn't though like his celebrity, isn't that partially our fault? Not us three specifically, but like the, the pedestal that we've put this man on, like as a society of investors call it, like, don't we fuel that? For <laughs> like sure. Even, you know, like tuning into these things. I mean, he's, he's garnered these like nicknames and, and, and like accolades and the greatest investor, like those types of things. Like, but people give that to him. He didn't deem it on himself. I agree yeah, you're right. completely, Mike. I, I, but then that's why I guess the, the spectacle that this thing has become is just confusing to me. Like, well, yeah. And I think like to the bigger subject that we're talking about, which is kind of like shareholder letters or quarterly communications, whether it comes from him or, Bezos or Bill Ackman or some schlub operating by himself in his basement and they're pontificating about whatever it is, whether it's a company that they own or, or got out of or the markets or what's going to happen. It's just, it's not worth the paper it's written on. There's some, I, I read, you know, you read some of the Amazon annual reports or whatever, or and even the Buffett ones in the past. And there's been some great, great points made or great things that are very common sensical or just like good perspective. But then they become, they take on this life of their own where people like hang on their every word. Stop. Like, I don't, I don't need to hear your opinion. I don't need to hear some hedge fund guy's opinion on like what's going to happen. Yeah. Do you think with like the efficiencies of the market and technology that, managers may go away and the index will just be the investment? No, no way. No, too big? Too much hubris, too much, too many people see the opportunity to be the smartest guy in the room, you know, sell out performance, get lucky, get it, become rich, rinse, repeat. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're anywhere near that happening. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, just, and, and the other thing that's related, I think is like maybe a big change, which would be good would be a ton of like major companies have pulled, uh, the practice of providing guidance. Like we you know, usually on a quarterly call, like, okay, we expect, uh, you know, next quarter we're going to do this much in revenue, this much in profit, whatever. Most of that, a lot of that, a lot of that's out the window because there is no way to predict and there's no point in even telling the public what you think is going to happen. That was so useless anyway. Like, like, you know, I bet you that most analysts who follow companies to do it know as much as the CEO of the company does about what they're going to do next quarter or next year financially. Because so much of it's public, unless there's something like a rare thing where there's something brewing that nobody knows about. I just think it's it's a stupid, idiotic practice that <clears throat> contributes to short-term thinking, a whole bunch of lemmings dialing into quarterly calls and trading on information that gets released in 
pre-market or after hours or something. It's just stupid. And maybe that'll help, Jeff, to your point of like speeding up the process of killing off active managers who suck. But yeah. who knows? I didn't read the, the Bezos uh, shareholder letter. Was it any good? It was very, very COVID. Like, this is everything that Amazon is doing um, as a company, as a cloud software provider, as an employer. I mean, I the way I interpret it is that I just, Jeff Bezos gets a lot of shit for being like the richest man in the world and like some of his decision making. Um, I fe- I felt like it was his way of telling people like, shut the fuck up. We're doing a lot of good, right. <laughs> like a platform in which he could really like down to, you know, that he, he was very specific about numbers um, in terms of costs, employees. So that's how I interpret it. And it read well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like um, it was basically, okay, Amazon has a shit ton of cash. We usually invest that in projects that hopefully will be profitable we're taking a shit ton of that cash and we're going to spend it on rescue and being a solution. And it's not going to be profitable and shareholders, you can go pound sand because it's not going to show up in your returns. And I think the stock sold off as a result of that, but good. I mean, that's, yeah, I agree with you, Meg, he gets a lot of shit, but he did. That's the right thing to do. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. Um, And I, I, as opposed to now again, I didn't watch Buffett's, but to me, this is something coming from the you know huge company that Amazon is in a situation like we're dealing with now. To see that type of like action being taken, I, like that made me feel a lot better than reading about Warren Buffett selling airlines. Mm, uh, right. Somber response to just like everything that's happening right now. The the reaction from Bezos just was better. And not that we have to compare the two. I don't think I'm, uh, it's not meant to compare, but. Yeah, I don't really care about like boo-hoo Warren Buffett is in a bad mood right now because of COVID. <laughs> like, get over it, Warren. We're all, we're all in the same boat, bro. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Yeah, that's cool. This article is called A Bargain with the Devil. Bill comes due for overextended Airbnb hosts. It was in the Wall Street Journal. And it was written by Trip Mickle and Pratika Rana. With people staying home and traveling very limited, Airbnb hosts who use their rental fees to cover mortgages, maintenance, and supplement their own cash flow have been dramatically impacted by COVID. Um, hosts saw an estimated $1.5 billion in bookings vanish in mid-March as the travel industry froze. This article explores the impact of a couple of specific hosts as well as Airbnb as a company. So, like, none of this was surprising. I mean, the numbers were pretty big and staggering, but, like, duh. Yeah, I, I have a hard time, like, feeling bad for people that bought 10 properties and used them as investment properties to put up on Airbnb to turn a profit. And then, yes, it's unfortunate that the government, excuse me, shut down the airline industry and the travel industry. And, but that's a risk you take. I mean, it's a risk you take with every business has risks and 
I just don't understand like why we should feel exceptionally bad for the Airbnb industry. Yeah, I think, you know, Airbnb residential rental, um, that market, that's a small piece of like the bigger residential rental market where people don't go through Airbnb. They just do it through other channels. The Airbnb angle is, yeah, like kind of like, okay, whatever. I mean, Airbnb, the company is the, is hugely impacted because they're like, that's their whole business model is to be in the middle of all those transactions. But yeah, I mean, the story about the, the couple that mortgaged everything and bought multiple properties and they were going to carry it with rental income. And when the rental income goes away, they're getting foreclosed on. Well, yeah, no shit. I mean, of course, that was one of the risks of embarking on that strategy as your business is that something happens in the economy that blows up rentals. Yeah. Okay. 10 years ago too. Like, you know, it, it um, yeah, I, I, I kind of read it as a, okay, there's another pocket of the economy that is really getting crushed and that's, they're not alone. I mean, they took that risk. Yeah. And that's like, that's like a bigger risk. It, or let me ask you, is it a bigger risk? I'm trying to think of, uh, I went to my dentist like in, in the beginning of March. Um, and he was crying, not crying, but he was complaining about like, hey, if they shut down my business, like I'm going to go out of business. It's like a dentist never thinks that people are going to be forced to not come in and get their teeth cleaned. Like if I'm a dentist, I'm going, I'm always going to have business unless I like, break the law or get some bad reputation. No one's going to come see me anywhere, but people are always going to come and get their teeth clean. Like with rental properties and real estate, it's like people may not travel. People may not want to rent anymore. I mean, there, there's other circumstances around it that can change your business and your revenue. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, uh, all those, I agree. I mean, all those um, dentist examples are good one. There, there's like, it would have been inconceivable for anybody to think they the economy, the global economy would be literally shut down. And you phys- if, you, if you work f- in a job where you need to be physically near somebody else, and there's a million examples, like you're on the brink of out of business. Yeah. I don't, I mean, are there that many examples? Um, like I'm trying to think like from a consultative standpoint, lawyers can do it remotely. They can Skype. So can um, uh, like therapists, I guess, physical therapy, you can't do that yet. Yeah, trainers, that's another, maybe they can do it a little but yeah, it's, it's, I, I didn't feel bad for the, uh, for the couple that, that I think that was just a mistake of over leverage and, and over concentrating your wealth in the one, into one sector. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think it also though kind of speaks to, how quickly Airbnb like kind of took over. Do you know what I mean? Like how, how many people were um, involved in it from a rental standpoint, how many people were renting their own properties and multiple properties of their own. Um, It's really like dramatically changed the way people travel. And it'll be interesting to see like if it ever bounces back. Because, like, if there's always concerns about, you know, this this virus or, or something 
to the extent of this, um, are people going to be sleeping in other people's beds? <laughs> I never even thought of that. It's a great point. I guess that would that would that would um, translate to the hotel industry as well. So I'm, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess to me, there's something about the hotels, even though I've stayed in a lot of shitty hotels. Like, there's something about hotels that just um, seem a bit cleaner. Just because it's not someone's house, I, I, and I know a lot of the Airbnbs I've stayed in have been—they've been great and clean, and they hire cleaning people. I think it will definitely deter a lot of people yeah. uh, from from doing that, from rent running rental properties and doing Airbnb and thinking of it as like Mike, you have a second home, but it wasn't your your place to shore. It's not. It wasn't meant purely to to buy to rent out and to have it sustain itself through an Airbnb rental situation. It's, Hey, if I get that stuff, great. I think it may deter the people that think they're going to get into the real estate market and rent stuff and, and, you know, be home free with that and have it pay for itself. And it doesn't. Yeah. It. yeah. Or, or make it quit their jobs and just do that as their primary source of income, accumulate properties and rent them out and like make the spread on, the income over the cost. And yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, but I, I find it hard to imagine that assuming that this is like taken care of in terms of like an actual, like it's eradicated as a threat, which we have to assume, I hope. Can't imagine that people are going to be, <clears throat> there, there'll be, a, I think a small segment that maybe never does that again, goes, stays in some Airbnb place because they're just, germaphobed about it but i can't imagine that it's going to destroy that that market i think maybe the cleaning industry gets a big boost because they'll have like they'll probably be more in demand and more in um demand to do a thorough and more expensive cleaning job than they currently do i don't know but yeah um yeah i, I can't see that stuff going away yeah i think that's certainly like the most dramatic like possibility um, I guess it's just, we're so in the thick of it right now, yeah. you know, that like, whatever that looks like when it happens is hard to even imagine. I think it's too good of a model for it to go away. Like I'll just, I'll rent, I'll rent a place and I'll just clean it when I get there. If, if I'm that germaphobic about it, I know they had a cleaner come in. I'll make sure I like clean all the sheets and wipe everything down. I mean, it's too good of a model, man. Move on. Soccer. Love soccer. soccer. We're talking about soccer. <laughs> Desperate times. Uh, the U.S. soccer team is still fighting for equal treatment. Louisa Thomas of The New Yorker um, explains the background of the United States women nas women's national team's campaign for equal pay and where things stand after their suit. That equal pay to their male counterparts was due to gender discrimination was rejected on May 1st. Um, had you guys like been aware of this ongoing, I don't know, campaign or whatever? Maybe in the background. Like I think it wasn't news to me, but I never really read about it or pay attention. Yeah. That's what was the most interesting thing. To, like I, I believe in equal rights. I believe in equal pay. I kind of, I'm, I'm feeling both sides of this argument. It's like if if your sport isn't in demand, then 
why would you make more? Right? Like people pay to go see LeBron James makes a ton of money because he sells out every arena he goes into. So that's justifiable. He makes more money. Um, what's the, what's the best Belladonna? Is that her name? The best female Elena? Yeah. That's probably. I mean, she's not selling out arenas like LeBron James. So she's not going to make as much, but I thought what I found hysterical about the article is they're talking about like, all these championships and all this drama and they're winning, uh, you know, the U S team wins a championship and they're, and they're chanting equal pay. And then they go to this other thing and they're, they're chanting this. It's like, I've never even heard of any of this. Like I'm sure all of the people that were there were big female soccer players. That's such a small draw in relation to all other sports. It's kind of a blip, man. I, 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 this, this article annoyed me because I, two reasons. Well, number one, it says in the article that they signed a collective bargaining agreement agreeing to the pay structure. If they were so against it, why'd they sign it? Yeah. Yeah. That's number one, just from the logistical aspect. The other thing is what, does this mean that a CEO of a, a thousand person company with 500 million in revenues has to get paid the same as a CEO of a company with five people and, you know, 500,000 in revenues. Like the revenues associated with men's soccer, give you the figures, but I'm, it dwarfs women's soccer, right? Has to. Yeah. I, mean, no I think men's argument. soccer is the most popular sport in the yeah. world. So then why are we trying to argue that the – Particip- the players, the participants, the employees, whatever you want to call them, should be paid the same as those that are driving whatever orders of magnitude of revenues in their in the men's version. I don't understand that at all. I think the argument was was flawed. I think that um, the U.S. soccer organization, when they said the reason men are paid more is because they're more athletic was kind of a flawed argument to start with. Yeah, that was stupid. That was yeah, stupid. and I can't believe they even said that. Although, yeah, and you know why I can't believe they said it? Because I don't think there's a real difference in athleticism between male and female soccer players. Soccer, soccer. Anyone can go play soccer. I just think the, I think the female soccer players are just as athletic and just as good as the men. I mean, they're, they're pretty – there's not a huge – there's not a huge drop off. It's not like you saw a guy soccer player do something. You're like, oh, no, a girl can never do that. I mean, it just – I feel like in, from, 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 from a sports standpoint, their performance is pretty equal. And I, and I don't think I can say that with other sports. I can't say it with basketball. I know I can't say it with basketball. No offense, mate. Uh, jump out of the building and the women don't. They have weak Achilles, I think it is. I think that's the reason. I think it's more of a knee thing. I'm gonna. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree that like obviously pay should be directly related to the product, and they're like not even on the same scale. Um, there was a part in the article that talked about though, like FIFA's lack of willingness to spend money to promote the women's game, which I think is where you can certainly like starts and 
you know, build up a fan base, spend money. Maybe if it's not going to the players, let's spend money building popularity. Because the women's national team in America, it's the, I mean, they're the most successful women's national team in the world. Like yeah. that's, that's an impressive feat. We're talking on like a world stage. So I think it, it certainly garners some like improvement. I don't know how you could simply say though. And then like you can't simply say that money should be the same when money's not, the amount of money that's coming in is not the same, like not even close. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing about the collective bargaining, I'm like, why, how can they even sue? Or if that's even what they're doing, how can you do that when you signed a contract? Like that's why you do this, why you sign contracts. That just feels like silly. So like do female golfers when they, when they play in a big tournament, I don't even know what they are, but there's female golf tournaments. They don't get nearly the viewership or the money that the male counterparts get for their tournaments. So it, to me, it'd be the same argument. Like, shouldn't they be demanding to have a purse that's, you know, equivalent to the, the men's golf circuit? I mean, the answer is no, there's not enough money there to pay. Like, I don't get, I don't, I don't know. And, and by the way, are they just as talented? Like, arguably, yeah. Like, okay, maybe they can't, they can't outdrop, but they're just as good. I mean, they're putting scores that are, like, ridiculous, right? Look, it's, it's very simple. Girls don't like sports as much as boys. I mean, it's that simple. So boys play sports a lot more than girls do, and a lot more boys watch sports. So it's going to be more popular. Yeah, the girls can play just as well. There's some unbelievable athletes worldwide in every sport that are female. It's just unfortunate because most people don't watch it or care about it. And it's a shame, man. But it's it's never going to change unless unless women, girls start playing more girls start playing sports at a younger age like this to to the tune of the same amount of, of boys that do. And then that that'll generationally change, but it's going to take a long time. I just don't think it's going to happen. Right. And the struggle has always been the end of the sporting career for a lot of women in sports has been college because the professional level that can't support leagues to to make it work. And um, I mean, hockey's going through it now, too. They're trying to figure that out. And it's a struggle. It's a challenge. And then the ladies have babies. So the kids, the kids are the reason all this gets screwed up. But in the same vein, like here we are talking about probably the one thing that you could use to promote female sport, right? Like the most successful female team in the world and no one knows about it. Yeah. Like that, that, that platform is just, it's, it's underexposed for females and I don't, that's bigger than soccer. That's, but like, if we can't improve female viewership and um, promote girls in sports using the United States Women's National Team, like, what else do we have? Yeah, shame on FIFA for not dumping a bunch of money into that and really, really promoting it. Because I think there is an opportunity to make it bigger, and they should try to do that. And then when you have the quality of play and the athleticism and the people there. How do you not 
how do you not take advantage of it? How do you not expect it? It's like what we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Like the NBA saw Michael Jordan and just said, that's our guy. We're going to promote the shit out of him. And he became a worldwide icon. Good segue. Yeah, no problem. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a quick question about it. Because my son wants to watch it. And I watched episode three, I think, which was the Rodman episode. And it was like F-bomb left and right. I watched episode five and six and they bleeped out all the curses. I'm watching is, is bleeped out. I don't know. They okay. didn't bleep one and two. Because I remember that the first time they said fuck, Anna and I looked at each other and we were like, ooh, Whoa. even better. <laughs> <laughs> and now they've just been bleeping everything. So Did they go back and bleep the previous ones? That they released or no? I don't know. I haven't gone back and watched. Okay. I was just curious why it changed. It was interesting. Yeah. Matt, come on. You have to. You, you, I mean, after watching five and six, like, tell me, you've come around. He's the best of all time, right? No. Oh, my God. You're so brainwashed. <laughs> I probably am. So five was like Michael the icon, Jordan's endorsement. And like you were just saying, Jeff, the NBA basically just putting on his shoulders like make this game more popular and he did in every sense of the word um and then six was like kind of the opposite of that him struggling with his role as like a role model and um i thought these i enjoyed both of these episodes a lot what a ball drop by adidas huh oh my god oh my god you know, Nike might not even be on the map. I, you know, you just can't even start to think about what may have been or not been. It's crazy. I was blown away by they did like maybe like a three minute part of I think it was episode six where they showed his routine from the beginning of the game through the end of the game and post post game and the amount of people around him every second of the day. I mean, I would love to ask him, like, if you can do your life over, would you prefer to be just like an Aaron McKee, like the sixth guy off the, off the bench, or the, I should say the first guy off the bench and have a decent uh, NBA career, maybe win a championship. And then you coach your local, your local high school team and you, you know, you live a pretty nice life or would you like this, all this fame and crap that goes with it? I mean, I think 100% his answer would be the way it happened. He's too competitive a guy to want Not anything. Too guy. <laughs> yeah. I also thought what, what I loved and what I, I love seeing in other sports is like real practice footage. Like that that footage of the dream team pra- uh, going at each I, other. I, I, I found him like – really annoying watching the the golf and throwing the quarters and did he seemed like dude do we if i'm his buddy like do we have to bet and gamble and be competitive with everything like the, his competitiveness was a freaking is a freaking disease man like when do you shut it off when do you just like are we going to compete over who can eat their stack of pancakes faster like just take a break Seems like he never stopped. But again, I think if he didn't have that in his personality, he wouldn't be, he'd be Aaron McKee. 
I think that is like that's what makes the greatest players at that next level. It's that over the top competitiveness where they're annoying. They're annoying to play against. Every practice, they're like 110%. Um, they hold other people accountable as a result, but they also just like, yeah, they want to bet on everything. On the on the plane, they're playing cards for a lot of money, and it's like whatever it is. I mean, I appreciate is that's, that I've noted. It's not it's not like being Captain Obvious, but you notice that about a lot of the greats in any sport is that they have that like ridiculous level of competitive fire, whatever. Yeah. Where do you guys shake out on the whole like? I'm not a role model. Like this life was thrust upon me. I'm a really good athlete, but don't expect me to endorse politicians. Don't expect my behavior to be like positive and good all the time. Do you think that in that role it's expected or do you think it should be something people like personally assume and want? I think it is part of your responsibility to be a role model. If you want to be the greatest basketball player of all time or during your generation, it's your responsibility. Now, I think he was under such an unbelievable microscope that I would be okay if he went to Atlantic City and he gambled till four o'clock in the morning and then came back. I, I, I would sit back now as a 43-year-old man who has some amount of experience under his belt say, He's still human. It's like when I watch those fights, like where you see like uh, the something in the palace. What was that? Malice in the palace oh, or something. Yeah. Ron Artest. Like I understand. I, I get it. Or, or Ty Domi. He pulls the guy from Havertown into the penalty box and beats the crap out of him. Like I understand why you can snap or lose it or, or make a mistake. But when that happens, you have to be a role model. You have to get back up the next day. You have to apologize for it because I always think that there is a nine, a 10 year old kid that's watching you and they want to be like you. And if you hit your girlfriend or your wife and you don't apologize for it, and you don't tell the world that was wrong, then an eight or nine year old kid is going to look up to you still and think that's cool. And that's okay. Can you imagine like Jeff, you talked about how amazing it was to see the, just the, the amount of traffic he had to deal with throughout his daily routine. Imagine in today's world of social media. Oh my like, God. It's not even comparable. Well, that's, that's part of my point. Like the greats, like LeBron, he's meeting the kids who are terminally ill before the game. He's having the media in his face. He goes to the game. He has all the posts. And then after all that, he's got to deal with Twitter. Like, I think it's harder on these guys than it was on, on Jordan in that era. Cause there's just as much meat. There's more media. And video, you can't get in an elevator and beat up your girlfriend without somebody videotaping it or somebody seeing it. It's going to happen. You have to be flawless. That's why I struggle with like, with putting that expectation on these. I mean, for every, you know, in every sense of the word, normal person, as opposed to their, you know, their celebrity and their sport. But like, then there's just these like, completely unrealistic expectations that, you know, because Colin Mastronardo exists, I, Michael Jordan, have to act a certain way. I don't know. Like, that's hard. It's, and it's like unfair. 
but yeah, but Kyle Mashadar is paying his salary. You exist because people want to watch you play, not yeah. because you're a basketball player. You exist because people want to watch you play. Yeah, but they want to watch you play basketball. What does it matter what I'm doing the other 22 hours a day? Because you're a role model. To most, to the majority, the majority of them, athletes, professional athletes, handle it the right way. The majority of them do. Like Michael Jordan didn't do anything wrong. LeBron James isn't doing anything wrong. Kobe, what did he do? He cheated on his wife. He apologized for it. Like they all have handled it really. The majority of them have handled it well. I don't know how they do it. I literally don't know how they do. I don't know how they don't have mental breakdowns. I don't envy, I mean, they got a lot of money. I don't envy the lifestyle they have at all. Me, that's fame, period. Whether you're talking about actors or musicians or athletes, people who, who strive to be famous, I don't understand that one bit. Like, why would you want that scrutiny 24-7? That's like a mental illness if you if you want that. I think it sounds good when you're young. And then, you know, when you look back at it now, you're like, man, that is just, that's like a, it's like a, it's like a death wish. Did you guys own Jordans? Yeah. I never did. I was a huge fan. I expected exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I was a huge fan of Mars Blackman, that whole, that whole um, advertising campaign. I loved it. Do the right thing. Like that 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 clip where the guy's like, "You just stepped on my new Air Jordans, man!" Like that. Like I watched that movie a thousand times, probably. It, I mean, I'm I'm still amazed at how how good this this documentary is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, watching Kobe was tough. Like, yeah, that was a little tough. I've gotten to the point, like, I still kind of forget that he's gone, and then I'll see something on Twitter or like this documentary. You're like, holy shit. Like Kobe Bryant is dead. It's still like every time strikes me like a lot. Did, did anyone notice in episode five where they had the dream team that uh, Christian Leitner was on the team? I don't think I re- I mean, I knew he was on the dream team, but I don't think I saw him in the clips. Yeah, he was like when they had like a group photo, you see his like his his ass in the background. <laughs> what year was the shot? The, the shot against Kentucky? Was that 90? He was a rookie. Still more uh, Isaiah Thomas hate. <laughs> when I'm assuming they're going to get to the point where, because I'm watching this, like we're literally in, in episode six and I'm like, was Michael Jordan ever married? Did he have any kids? I mean, not a clip, not a mention. I'm assuming we're going to get to that, right? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he's wearing a ring and a lot of the stuff he referred to his wife a couple of times. I don't know if this is Michael Jordan, the the family man. I think it's yeah, I'm curious. Something else. Good. 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 Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jeff, you want to introduce the top five? Top five drink and food combinations. Is that? Did you? Was that mean? You want me to go first? I know. I don't care. I just want to make sure everyone knows that this was yours. Yeah, this is all mine. I'll go first because I love mine. Okay. I'm going to, I think I'll put them in an, in an order. Yeah. Uh, number five is I love orange juice with like a He-Man breakfast. 
like orange juice with eggs, pancakes, bacon, home fries. It's like the perfect mixture. Number four would be um, like an Italian hoagie with chips and a Coca-Cola. So Coke with like a some kind of hoagie. Number three is uh, gravy fries and a beer. Mixed roast beef gravy fries and a yingling lager. Dude, spot on. Uh, two, there's a place around me growing up called Charlie's Hamburgers. And it was like an old school, like greasy hamburger. You get that with a malt, like a chocolate malt shake. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. And then my last one, my top one is red wine. And I'm struggling which one I want to pair it with. But I, I'm, I'll go with um, red wine and filet mignon. It's just my number one go-to drinking food. Uh, yeah, I had a couple of those. Um, I did the milkshake, but I did with French fries. Ooh, that is a good one, dude. Um, I did a breakfast stand. I wasn't as specific as you as like the place, um, but like hung over a breakfast sandwich and a Coke. Bre- a breakfast sandwich and a Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, this is mostly because I had it last night and it was really good. Margaritas and tacos. I had a spicy cucumber margarita. Yeah. I almost said like any Mexican dish and a Corona. Mm -hmm. Um, pizza and beer. I mean, I just feel like you really can't go wrong. And then my last one was red wine and steak. Said specifically cab, but any red wine will do (laughs) (laughs) box or bottle i mean depends on the steak (laughs) yeah we all had so i had the gouble of red with a steak on mine i actually have a little common theme (laughs) but um i threw on there a a good ipa a nice ipa with a burger Mm. Yeah. I also have red wine with like turkey on Thanksgiving. Huh. I don't know if everyone pairs that, but I, I love that. I was trying to think of like meals and a Thanksgiving was on my mind. I'm like, what do I really crave to drink on Thanksgiving? And I couldn't. I, I, I don't have that pair. And I got this is a little like fruity i guess but i got wine and cheese you know like uh a nice a nice sharp like spicy cheese a little charcuterie maybe yeah (laughs) and then finally and this isn't number one but i'm leaving it to to last because it's you guys didn't say it but um milk and cookies jeff i'm surprised you didn't have milk and cookies i can't drink milk i had thought about it because milk and cookies especially like you get a uh like the classic chip ahoy out of the blue bag. <laughs> and then they get mushy when you dip them in the... Oh, dude, they're so good. Milk and cookies skeeves me out. I don't know. It just like crumbs in my drinks. I don't need it. I can't believe no one said... Because this, this was what I was between with my number one. It was either red wine and steak or red wine and pasta. I mean, red wine. Yeah, I thought about pasta, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, too many rats there. Yeah. Oh, all right. Maybe if we maybe if we had more than three minutes to think of our top five, we would have came up with better ones. True. All right, we're out.